I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Thank you for coming back and joining us for part two of this conversation with Lita Herman. Lita is an author, a Chinese medicine instructor and practitioner. She's host of the Inspired Action podcast and co-founder of Born Perfect, which is a new media company. Lita offers a wide range of energetic acupressure, acupuncture, and alchemy treatments based on the principles of ancient Chinese medicine. She has completed and continues to study advanced principles in Chinese medicine with Master Jeffrey Yuan, an 88th generation Taoist priest and Chinese medicine master. And that makes her practice so unique that many people travel from all over the world to go spend time at her clinic. At the same time, Lita is a former journalist, a syndicated columnist. She is author of four books, The Energy of Love, Connecting Your Circle, and The Big Little Gua Sha. And her most recent book is Alchemy Through the Mystery Gate, where she covers the relationship between the element that you are, the palaces that you struggle to be in, and the practices you need to do to find and connect deeply to yourself. I hope you enjoy this second part. I was blown away recording it. So give us a little more of your time with Lita Herman. I did not know that when I was having that conversation with you and Jay, you were assessing me. Oh, of course. <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, our okay. favorite pastime is to figure out what different celebrities are because, you know, we're watching movies and all the time my dream is to help casting directors do better casting of movies because there's nothing worse than getting this awesome actor be a complete like mismatch with the character. So the way you spoke right now is like earth. Is that correct? Right now I'm going up and down. My voice is fire. Oh, I should have <laughs> thought so, but you, it was repeating the same pattern, right? Yes. Yes. So Fire and earth are similar because earth in that circular nature also goes up and down, but is a like I get very blah, 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 like that. <laughs> and they would be more like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go up and then I'm going to go down. So it's more a continual, gradual up and down. So it's, it's definitely calmer than my voice in general. But fires are the best storytellers out there because they get you really excited about a topic. You know, like I can get you really excited about the five elements because it's easy. My voice does that. Mm -hmm. It reaches out and tickles your ears and says, listen, listen, this is cool. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing now that I'm thinking about is most of your work you do with someone. So I I actually have to admit, I knew you through Inspired Action, the, um, the podcast, right? And then as I started to look into your work, your other work, your book, you're always partnering with someone. Yes. Always. Like your books are always, yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Why is that? Well, I'm fire. I love to do projects with other people. I like to be surrounded by people and I like to share what I do with other people. So, you know, I have many apprentices. We have 
all kinds of events. And, you know, it's been great. How does it work? I mean, how do you write a book with someone? First of all, do you choose someone who is not fired? Well, I think I've, uh, I've only written books with Jay so far. And that was just starting out. When I started writing, I was writing very, for some reason, I'm, I'm a very, you know, excited speaker, but I, I'm a little bit of a boring writer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get kind of technical. I used to be a technical writer, you know, years ago, and I was a newspaper writer in the very yes, beginning. Yeah. And so I can be very literal. And so Jay was helping me sort of get writing. That was one of the original things that Jay helped me with. Like, you got to write a book because you've been talking about it for 10 years. It's time to write a book. And so I was writing, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And Jay just started saying, hey, let's make this more exciting. Let's make this more accessible. And that was her gift in the world. And she's just made the books so much more interesting and fun than they would have been had I written them like a textbook. And, you know, as much as I can write a textbook, and I don't mind doing that, I've always felt that my gift isn't so much always teaching other practitioners. I really feel like my gift is to share this information with lay people, with, with people in the world, because this information, it just shouldn't be practitioners, in my opinion. And I think we all need to learn this stuff, which is why, you know, I wrote the latest book, the alchemy book, which is called Through the Mystery Gate, because it's the most esoteric of all of this stuff that I have encountered. And Mo, everyone's out there trying to, to do something exciting. And you said, curious, we're curious, like we're doing yoga because we're interested. We're doing, some people are doing psychedelics right now. It's like really, really big. And they're experimenting, you know, who knows, they're sitting in cold baths to see how that feels, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, like Wim Hof. And it's like all these things are the latest, greatest, interesting thing we're all doing. But all of that is external to us. It's outside of us. And so what we call in, in Chinese philosophy, like Lao Tzu wrote the Tao Te Ching, that has two books. One's called the inner chapters and one's called the outer chapters. The outer chapter, and all of the Chinese philosophy books have inner chapters and outer chapters, like Zhuangzi, Gohong, and all these people that I follow. And the outer chapters are interesting, but what are they mostly about? They're mostly about things that are outside of us, politics, things like you can do this yoga move and it will help you with this, or you can eat this keto diet and this crazy, you know, thing will happen. You'll lose lots of weight. But what's happening internally is more interesting. And if you look at all these people a hundred years from now, Tim Ferriss is like, you know, amazing, right? He's doing so many cool things, but a hundred years from now, are you going to want to know what cool thing he was doing? Or are you going to know what was going on inside Tim or whoever, you know, or Mir or any of these people that we're interested in? It's like, what is their internal landscape? What is their internal world? And the real question is, what is our internal world, each individual person? And can we focus on that? So the steps to do that, we believe, are first to understand the five elements. If you understand your elements that's a gateway into yourself. And what we're trying to get to is self-awareness and self-realization. And so it's like, what's going to be the next cool thing out there for all of us? Because we've, we've evolved so much in this past year, the pandemic, like it's just been this crazy time, but look how much technology has advanced. Look how much we've advanced. It's been a tough time, but we've grown a lot in the past year. 
And the question is, are we going to start looking more internally at our own landscape of who we are? And that's where the five elements start. Who are you energetically? Who were you born to live out in this world? And according to that, now this you may not know, each element has a palace, two palaces except for Earth. The nine palaces are the nine difficulties of life. No matter what, as a human being, we are faced with these nine difficulties, or they're called the nine palaces. So they're like challenges. One, we have to make sure we maintain our health. We have to deal with other people. So one is called relationship. We have to make a living. So one is called wealth. One is called career. One is called children. We want to leave something to the world of legacy. There's travel, there's wisdom, there's prosperity. And then there's the final palace, which is the most important one, which is home. And they don't just mean your physical home. They mean home with a capital H, like some kind of spiritual home, the home inside yourself. You know, your heart is where your home is. So that is another layer of looking inside yourself. What are these nine palaces? How do I relate to them? Am I struggling in any of them? And most of us are struggling in at least two of them. Like you just can't get through life and not struggle somewhat with them because we have to balance all nine of them at the same time. If I said to you, Mo, you just don't have time to be creative. No more creativity. You might be like, okay, I'll just call it work and I'll be creative at work. But, (laughs) you know, which is probably what you would do. But the truth is you're still needing to be creative. There's something in us that needs to be creative, whether we think we're helping others or whether we're just, you know, needing to fulfill something for ourselves. It doesn't matter. But that creativity is like core to every single being. You might think it's not important, but it really, truly is. And so then after that, what I'm fascinated with, what I think is the thing that really when people are looking for something outside of themselves, those outer chapters If I say to them, what about alchemy? Because alchemy is taking the who you truly are and sprinkling some fairy dust over that and saying, hey, but you could really be whoever you want to be. And that requires self-examination and we call it self-cultivation. So I always say like, you know, your garden outside, your garden is a wild, crazy mess if it's not cultivated. But if you take some time and you just put in a little effort, you begin to cultivate and make something out of it. So it's not chaotic. There's nothing wrong with chaos. There's no judgment about that. But if you would want it to grow into something specific, then you would take the time, maybe meditate for a human being, or, you know, could be exercise, could be anything. You start to cultivate it. And as you cultivate it, and you start to understand yourself better, Then you get to these higher states of realization, which is what Lao Tzu did. He was supposed to be the most realized human being. You know, and we talk about enlightenment in the Taoist perspective, enlightenment is more like that. It's like living this spontaneous life that you're completely free in yourself, like a child is. You're trying to, you know, Lao Tzu, the little Tzu at the end of the name, Lao Tzu means child. So he's like a wise child. He has the wisdom of the vast wisdom of the universe, and yet he can feel completely spontaneous like a child. That's almost the opposite of what, how people view wisdom, how people view enlightenment. People think that this is 
a state of discipline that you reach by meditating seven hours a day for 700 years. Yes. But it is literally, it's almost, it's almost all of that discipline to get you to understand that life is worth nothing but actually living through it like a child. Exactly. Is that how it is? Yes. So it's so interesting because the career palace is also called the knowledge palace. And knowledge is all the skills and book reading that we do and the things that we're taught, right? And so we can acquire knowledge. But what takes that knowledge and makes it into wisdom? And it's experience. So as we experience the knowledge and the application of it in the world, you know, that 10,000 hours concept, Malcolm Gladwell or whoever, you know, all the people that talk about you do something for 10,000 hours, you're not thinking about it anymore. You know it. Like yeah. it is in you. It's a deeper wisdom. And that's the wisdom palace. And that's what Lao Tzu is talking about. You know, he's saying once you get to that level, you don't need to think anymore. You're like a child, but you're wise at the same time. So you can that's move amazing. through the world completely differently. And that's, it's great when you can do it. I forgot what all the things he wrote about in that book. I love that book, Malcolm Gladwell's book about it with the 10,000 hours. But, you know, I think he was talking about pilots and different people like that or police officers. Yeah, basketball players. Yeah, basketball yeah. players. You know, they, they get to this level where they're the most elite and they can just do it without thinking. But imagine if you were doing you without thinking. Ah, oh, that is such a statement. Exactly. So 10,000 hours of being you so that you can actually do you without thinking. That is one hell of a gold nugget. Oh my yes. God. And I think <laughs> none, none of us ever gets there because we're constantly, so what happens? We're constantly struggling with the nine palaces. Are you saying that each element, like if I'm fire, then I would typically struggle with two uh, yes. palaces that are different than the water, um, you know, elements. Yeah, Right. Relationship and prosperity are fire. It's not exclusively that way because most of us might have a health scare or most of us might have a wealth scare. Like those are things that almost all of us, we have to deal with all nine of them. The ones we really care about, you know, I might have a wealth palace problem, but if I'm going to talk to you about it, I, it's probably going to bring relationship into it because I'm fire and I'm all about relationship. And so, you know, I might be saying, hey, you know, money's tight, da, da, da. I've got this, you know, money thing. But as soon as I get going, it's going to be, but it's all about your relationships, you know? So it's kind of like an overlay of the others, but not exclusively. Everyone can struggle in any of the nine palaces. So relationship and prosperity, you said? Prosperity is what? Prosperity is when you have enough wealth, you can share it with others. So if you have already gotten your wealth palace, which you just call abundance, it doesn't have to be money. It could be time. It could be resources. It could be all kinds of things. You just have this, this sense of, I have enough. Then it graduates to, I have more than enough. Now I can give it. I can give it to whoever needs it. And I, it's that generosity of spirit. It's that wanting to share, you know, the last shirt on your back, even because you don't, you don't need it. You already have enough. Damn. I have to read this book. I have <laughs> to read this book because honestly, honestly, you have to observe your friends, right? People come talk to me about how difficult money is. 
and money has never been difficult to me. It's definitely never been a palace I struggled with. Even at the times when I had very little, you know, I was just starting off. It was so clear that if I did this, this and that, you know, there will be money. And on the other hand, relationships, for example, is then prosperity. I agree, actually. So I struggle with prosperity of time. I actually even sometimes publicly announce and say, if I figure out time, I would have figured out everything. But of course, because I do four jobs at the same time, sometimes five. But still, it's that idea of, can I get to the point where I feel I have abundance of it? Actually, not at all. This is something I struggle with. And it's so interesting when you start to see them as palaces, you know, and I start to think of my friends or people who approach me to talk about some difficulty they're facing. Now I can actually see that. I can see that there are certain people that will constantly struggle with one of them or two of them. That's really eye-opening. It's called Through the Mystery Gate. Yes. So we talked some about the nine palaces there, and we're writing another book about the nine palaces right oh, now. come on. So. A sequel already? A sequel, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will say in the book, there's another nine things in it, and that's the nine stages of alchemy. And that's really what the book is about. But the whole first half of the book is about the five elements, the nine palaces, and everything you need to know to even start alchemy. So there's a lot of just knowing yourself. And then once you start alchemy, the mystery gate is that idea of parting the veil that a lot of people talk about in spiritual realms. So parting the veil, what does that mean? That was always kind of a vague statement to me, you know, us being these scientists and everything. I'm like, what is parting the veil? But I had the best explanation for it. It is clearing the cloudiness of your mind, the confusion in your mind, the thoughts and emotions that clutter your mind. When you start to part the veil, you start to see clearly through all of those voices in your head. And that's what meditation starts to do. And Taoist meditation is a little different than a lot of the meditation that we know about in the world because Taoist meditation is much more focused on visualization and concentration and getting those thoughts to behave, but not by clearing them from your mind. It's like you know, don't look at the elephant in the room. I mean, you know, you start thinking of an elephant in the room, right? So if I say to you, Mo, stop thinking about anything, your mind's going to go nuts immediately. <laughs> it's going to start thinking yeah. about everything, right? Yeah. I mean, 20 bazillion things in, in seconds, right? So instead we say, why don't we get your mind to think about something in specific? So in Taoist meditation, what we're doing is just training the mind to learn how to concentrate. So in the beginning, we do this like meditation called enter the mystery gate. And it's, it's a simple visualization. It's just going through, uh, you would imagine a mystery gate. So you, it's your mystery gate. You can imagine it however you want. You could imagine, you know, vines over a wrought iron gate, or you could imagine a big stone gate, you know, like the picture of the book through the mystery gate has a big stone gate on it. You could imagine, um, the Xbox starting. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, you know, you're going to walk through it. And the idea is it's very symbolic. Are you willing to take the step toward self-realization to self-awareness? Are you willing to, to enter this mystery and you don't know what's on the other side? So it's a bit like walking in the darkness. So I say, you're going to walk into a tunnel. This mystery gate leads to a dark tunnel and you're going to have the guts to take the next step. 
and to walk into, it's like walking into yourself. Alchemy is not for everyone. Alchemy is, can be for anyone, anyone, but not for everyone because they're not ready. They're not ready to take that step to look at themselves. It's scary, the internal world. And so when you, when you enter the mystery gate, you're walking through this dark tunnel and you're willing to walk into a place where you don't know what's crawling on the walls and you don't know what's mm. ahead of you. And you're like, okay, I'll do it anyway. I have a reason. I want to really know myself. I want to really like, you know, work through this. I want to clear all that confusion in my mind. And so this meditation is just a way to start to get your mind to get some traction. I'm quoting near here. I love that idea of traction to have some traction or focus and to allow you to work through some of the fears. And that's just the beginning of alchemy. And then there's nine stages of alchemy. And so each one is this development of yourself. So it's this journey of yourself. In the beginning, the first stage is just, can my life be easier? Can I live an easier life? Does life have to be so hard and complicated? No, we make it so. And so the first stage of alchemy is simply simplicity, ease, you know, finding a way not to be rebellious all the time. We are inherently rebellious. We think I want that and that's in the way of it. So I'm going to have to fight to get to it. And it's just human nature. And so once you realize that you don't have to fight to get what you want, that you can manifest it other ways, then you've worked through stage one and you can go on to stage two. And stage two and three are all about unloading all your baggage. Easier said than done. Yes, very hard. And so, you know, we work really hard with the nine palaces during that time, stage two, because you have baggage like, oh, well, I could make a lot more money, but that thing happened and that ruined everything. And like that person stole all that money from me and I'm, I'm never going to get over it. And we sued each other and there's a history there. It's a lot of baggage. And so they're carrying that around for the rest of their lives. And until they are willing to let it go, it's going to always surface and cause trouble. How can you live like a child if you're carrying around that horrible experience? Because by the time you get to stage four, you've unloaded all that baggage. And now you can start to be like a child. You can experience life without the blinders that you created that say life can only be in this little box. <laughs> and we're blowing the walls off that little box and saying, what is really around us? Can I just be spontaneous like a child? Can I just experience the world like that? And from that stage five is now being the wise old person and not needing to have to, to be right all the time, not needing to have to say what, you know, it's like, we as human beings want to share our wisdom, but is it really necessary? Like, why are we sharing that wisdom? What are we trying to get out of that? Like, what kind of kudos are we trying to get? You know, and so stage five is this becoming this wise person where really anything you say is divinely inspired. It's like doing this interview, Mo, you know, you can prepare and write lots of notes. I don't see you right looking at your notes. You know, it's like you just come and you allow divine inspiration. Like if we just call it inspiration. You allow the inspiration to come out of you. That's because of your wisdom of as a human being. You're like, I know, I know what I need to say when I need to say it. I don't. I have no idea. 
I have to say, I, you know, I normally prepare, but I, I don't prepare to, I mean, I know your work, so I didn't have to yes. prepare. I know you well, yes. uh, but, but I normally prepare not to actually stick to my notes. I normally prepare because I want to, I want to submerge myself in the energy of the person I'm going to meet. So I spend a couple of hours in the morning before every conversation where I, I actually don't just read. I mean, most of my guests, I've read their work, but I want to see them as humans. I want to see them talk. I want to see their energy. I want to see their movement. I want to get to know them if I don't already know them. And then I absolutely, like you said, I just want life to inspire the conversation in the direction it should go. It's not really something that we should restrict. Stage six. So then you get to stage six and stage six is when you put aside the to-do lists, you don't need them anymore because you will actually be in the right moment at every time. So every footstep in your life is the right footstep. It's the next footstep. So it's trust, a really deep level of trust. And we call that flying in your life because the ancient alchemists were purported to fly. Like literally, we've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, when they twirl up and they fly. Well, that was, you know, for real, physics aside. But uh, <laughs> but the idea is when you're flying in your life, it's just such ease and such flow. It is that Wu Wei we talked about in our last interview on my podcast. You know, the Wu Wei is that inspired action where you just know every movement you make is the next movement you need to make. And there's no doubt about that. And so everything comes together in your life. Seven, eight, nine are the really mystical, magical ones. So um, definitely define the laws of physics. So in stage seven, you morph. Like literally they found... I have to read this book. Come on. <laughs> What have I been doing with my life? Okay, more. <laughs> yes. So I went to Gohung's cave with Jay. Jay and I went to mm. Gohung's cave. And in the cave, they found a giant cauldron. But the hole to the cave was literally like, you know, no bigger than a bread box. So how did they get the cave in there? And how did the people get in there? Like, you know, mm -hmm. so the idea was that you could literally by that point walk through walls, you could dematerialize and rematerialize. And, and that's eight. So eight is when you actually dematerialize. So they call it the ninja, the ninja phase. So the ninja phase is like ninjas could be in the dark and no one would see them. So they're invisible. And so, you know, you could get invisible and then stage nine. Well, if you're going to become invisible, you should learn how to rematerialize and unless you just want to leave. So stage nine is how do you rematerialize after you dematerialize? Are you saying seven, eight, nine are not a myth? They're not fables. They're not legends. They're actually real. Well, uh, hard to say. I think all of them could be metaphorical, but I believe that Gahong and many of the other um, immortals were purported as legend to have been able to do all these things. And specifically, like when I was at Gahong's cave, the story is that he dematerialized and left his clothes behind. So he literally left a pile of clothes and shoes, which is what when you go to Gahong's tomb, it's supposed to just have his clothes and shoes in it, not the body, because the body mysteriously vanished in front of everyone's eyes. And there's a legend, I believe that's a legend, that he and his wife, Bao Gu, did this together. And he became a black butterfly and she became a white butterfly. And when we were visiting the cave with my teacher, Master Jeffrey Yuan, 
two butterflies flew out of the cave, one black, one white, and just started twirling around each other in the middle of our group. And we were all like dumbfounded and stunned. We couldn't believe it. We're like... Someone must have hired those butterflies. I, I can't believe that this happens on its own. It's like they're working know. there. I'm sure they get allowance and health insurance. It can't be done I otherwise. Think so. I yeah. think so. I know. They're totally on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I have to admit to you, I have not studied Taoist enough. I've studied almost all of the others. Anything I could get my hands on. I think after this conversation, I'm going to yeah. dive deep. I really think this is such an inspiring, beautiful, balanced, interesting way of looking at things. I think the book that we just came out with is a really good introduction to it. It is going yes. to be read. Okay. I promise you that. Because here's the thing. The Taoist canon has hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of books in it. And... Everyone in Taoist history has a different opinion about everything. And so mostly it's like Judaism and the Torah and all these religions, they have these scriptures and it's pages and pages and pages of stuff. And for me, you know, I've been studying it now for 20 years and I am a synthesizer. I like to distill everything down to some essences. So I think that that's really my gift that I offer to the world is how can we understand this material. And then Jay brings this other factor, which is now how can we apply it? How can we actually live this? So in this book, we not only told you what the nine stages are, we gave you exercises and meditations to do on your own for each stage. So you can take your time and just work through these ideas on your own and explore them. And again, it's about your path, your journey, nobody else's. And so it's just this, like that simple meditation of walking through the dark tunnel of the mystery gate. What are we trying to do with that? If you, if you were to take that on and do that for yourself, you would just walk until you saw the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. But what's that experience about? And some people, they do it and it was no big deal. Some people, they get really fearful, like ghosts and goblins come out of the walls. And that's important. They need to keep engaging those fears until they can learn to release them. And so we say in alchemy that fear of death is the fundamental fear beneath all other fears. So whether it's fear of dying in the pain that you might experience or fear of the afterlife, it doesn't matter. All fear kind of distills down to fear of dying. And so what we're trying to do when we start alchemy is let go of that fear. What are we afraid of? Life is happening around us and death is part of life. And so at some point, you know, unless you're an alchemist and have become immortal, because they were trying to become immortal, it's likely that death will come in your life. And so death is not the scary thing at all. But we, we have a um, sort of natural inclination to fear death. And so that meditation is solely just to help people let go of that fear. I don't fear death at all. It really is quite, and I can't explain it. I mean, when every time someone talks about this and you say, you know, they were trying to be immortal, my immediate reaction is we all are. The physical form is mortal, but I'm not my physical form. So what's the fuss That's all about? It. And a couple of days ago, I was really, really deeply contemplating and saying, look, I am a video gamer. I love my video games. And 
and you know that the game starts and the game ends. And in reality, you're not the avatar, you're not the character on the screen. And does it really matter if I played for an hour more or half an hour less? Does it really matter? What matters is that the hours I played, I enjoyed, I fully engaged, I made a difference, I achieved a purpose of some sort. And it's quite interesting. And in the book, I use that analogy of how we are eternal in spirit and that I said, it's like playing a video game and Jay loves video games as well. And so I said, well, you know, yeah, so when you die in a video (laughs) game, you get another chance. And so the idea is that you want to get another chance in this lifetime. So what we're really trying to do with alchemy is to say, we're rebirthing ourselves, or I call it die before you die. So you're trying to get to that place, not afraid of death at all, because you know you're eternal in some way, like life is eternal. And so what you're really trying to do is to get over yourself, to rise above yourself, to get to that next level within yourself so that you can start to live in a completely different manner in your life where you're not being tossed about by life, the winds of life change, you know, just constantly throwing you this way and that, where you've risen above it. And so it is literally like the the video game where you know you're not that one avatar. What's your definition of dying before you die? As a matter of fact, in my in my assessment of going through life, it's actually one of my top objectives. And I it comes in all different, all different forms of spirituality. When you dig deeper than the generalist, if you want. There's always the concept of dying before you die. What what is that in Taoist? Well, I think for me, I'm not sure that all Taoists would agree. I think for me that it's, I hate the word ego because it's got a lot of meanings. But if you think about your identity, let's just talk about your identity. That's a better word. If you think about your identity, it has a lot of qualities to it. It has preferences and aversions. It has history and memory. It has plans for the future. It has a lot of these various aspects to it. But when you die before you die, you allow that to sort of be laid to rest. And from that, you rebirth something new. And that's really what alchemy is doing, is trying to say, okay, I accept who I am. I know that I'm this person. I know what element I am. I know what palaces I've been working on. And that's not that important. I can fulfill it. I can complete it. And I can move on to the next level. It's leveling up. (laughs) It's leveling Mm -hmm. up. (laughs) I've played enough games to Mm -hmm. know that. But anyway... (laughs) What are people doing listening to this podcast? Go buy yourself a game console. This is your... <laughs> That's what it's really all about. <laughs> this is where you get to learn the whole thing. I believe that, uh, you know, this is just a simulation of it. But that's, that's how, how it's played. played. I can't tell you. I mean, you say this book is your gift to the world. I, I believe that. I'm going to read it and I'm going to report back when I'm on your podcast. Yes, thank you. But I have to say this hour and a bit that we spent together is another big gift to the world. This is, I deliberately just wanted for us to connect as good friends and just go somewhere. And I think we went into amazing, amazing, amazing places. This was such a wonderful conversation and I'm very grateful. I am too. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Well, I, I don't know what to tell you other than I truly and honestly have to read this book. I have to say I haven't put enough of my studies, even though I did study Taoist principles, but I have to say I haven't put enough of my study in it, and I definitely want to do that now. The book is called Through the Mystery Gate. I'll read it, and I hope you would consider reading it too. I really enjoyed this conversation so unexpectedly, uh, went into directions that I think were really enlightening and eye-opening. I hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, please do me a favor and spread the word. Tell others by rating this podcast five stars and leaving a kind comment. Perhaps share it with your friends on social media or call someone and say, ah, you have no idea what I just listened to. Whichever way, the more people that can receive this wisdom of my wonderful friends, I think the better our world will be. So please, please, please help me out. At the same time, I'm extremely grateful for all the kind messages that you have been sending me. Just yesterday, I announced that it was our one-year birthday, and so I received a million messages. I don't know how many, honestly. All so kind, all so wonderful about how slow-mo is becoming part of your life. I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity that you give me to record this because I enjoy it hopefully as much as you enjoy listening to it. Do please continue to be in touch. Uh, find me on social media. I'm uh, mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, mo gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.official on Facebook, and mgaudet on Twitter. And do send me recommendations. I always try to reach out to those you want to meet here on Slow Mo, but also share with me your stories and what you learned and your impressions. I try to answer as many of the messages that I get as I can. And uh, yeah, take time to reflect, to study, and hopefully to connect with yourself because it doesn't really matter how many things you have on your calendar today. There's always a little bit of time for you to slow down. I love you all for listening. I really, really do. And I will see you next time.